1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. WHIO News Time is now 2.05. Now the most accurate and dependable forecast here at Storm Center 7, meteorologist Jesse Mack. Cloudy skies out there today with just a slight chance for a scattered shower. We will see a chance for a few snow showers in the evening and overnight. High temperature at 42 degrees, mostly cloudy and quiet for Sunday with a high of 36. Snow moves in by the evening hours on Sunday, and that will last through most, if not all, of the overnight and into Monday morning. We're looking at a wintry mix, switching over to rain showers on Monday. Windy with a high of 40 degrees, then switching back to a wintry mix and snow showers Monday night and into Tuesday. Chance of snow showers does continue there Tuesday with a high of 33. Much colder air moves in for Wednesday, mostly sunny and breezy with a high of 27 degrees. I'm meteorologist Jesse Mag on Dayton Severe Weather Station, 1290 and 95.7 WHIO. And the latest scan, the live 7 radar showing cloudy skies across the Miami Valley this afternoon. Currently, we've got 44 degrees in Trotwood, 43 degrees in Springfield, 44 degrees in Dayton at 207. With news on the hour, the half, and instantly when it breaks, I'm John Tisdale on 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. Depend on it. The views and opinions expressed during this program do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of Cox Media Group Ohio. This hour is sponsored by Sim Trainer. I'm Storm Center 7 meteorologist Kirsty Zantini. We're watching the radar right now. If weather breaks, we break in immediately. Here on 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. And I'm Dayton's consumer warrior, Clark Howard. You're listening to an Ask the Expert Weekend. Good afternoon, listeners, and welcome to the Saturday afternoon broadcast of Shooting from the Hip. I'm Jeff Pedro, and I'm from Sim Trainer, the Dayton area's first indoor range and firearms training center. We're located at 2031 Dryden Road, Moraine, right across the street from DPNL. You can visit us on the web at sim-trainer.com, or you can give us a call at 937-293-3914, and we'd be more than glad to discuss with you any of your firearms-related needs or interests. If you want to get in on today's show, please call us here at 457-1290, and we'd be more than glad to talk with you. Uh, today is a, a much-awaited show. I've been waiting to um, get some information to you that all of us have been uh, concerned about, and um, I was fortunate to get a hold of Senator Steve Huffman of the Ohio Legislature. And um, Steve, are you out there? Can you hear us? Sure. Good morning to everybody. How are you today? Thank you for joining us today, Steve. And our listeners out there, I want to remind you that uh, Senator Huffman's been gracious enough over the last couple of years to kind of keep us updated on uh, what's going on in the State House. And as many of you have uh, found out yourself, and as I found out trying to find things, um, I'm and excuse me, uh, Senator, if I um, use the wrong terminology, but it's it's a little bit. Um, overwhelming when you look at legislation that's been proposed, particularly over the last six months. And I wanted to have you join the show and see if you can help us put some kind of uh, maybe order and direction to what's going on in the st- in the state house relative to gun control measures. Um, I uh, I'd like you to start off maybe by just uh, one of the things that I found to be uh, a little bit confusing is that you have uh, um, the the Ohio Strong initiative that I think was. Uh, put forth by Senator Dolan. Then you have uh, various senators, namely Thomas, uh, Lehner, Williams, and Craig that have proposed independent and small 
uh, other small item uh, issues. And then Senator Johnson just recently uh, made a proposal relative to uh, the duty to the retreat. And then when you start looking those things up, some of them are intermeshed and, and there's a lot of overlap. So can you help us kind of put a little bit of clarity to the concept and maybe tell us where any or all of those bills are at the present time? Sure. Uh, thanks for having me today. I, I think, uh, you know, um, a number of these are reactionary from the, the horrible things that happened in the Oregon district. And um, some of them are repetitive that uh, Senator Cecil had, uh, Thomas had introduced and then uh, Senator L- uh, Lehner had joined him. So it, it, it is uh, duplicative. Um, but, uh, you know, small things, uh, uh, mainly trying to take away our Second Amendment rights um, from, uh, you know, banning uh, bump stocks and uh, limited the magazine size, uh, increasing the age to um, uh, to buy a gun from 18 to 21, uh, universal background checks. But uh, uh, I, I think the two things that have potential, you can tell uh, by the number of hearings, is uh, Senator Dolan's strong Ohio uh, has gotten three hearings, and then uh, Senator Johnson's um, duty to retreat is um, uh, had had a third hearing too. So. Um, they're all out there. I think those two are probably the only two to uh, that's going to get any movement here in the in this general assembly. Do you think uh, before the end of the year, or do you think it'll wrap around to the next year? Well, we're we're, we're going to. It's got to be next year, right? That's... Um, we're we're going to meet the, the the house is done for the year. We're going to meet on Tuesday and be done for the year. So we're going to come back at the end of January and. Uh, look uh, look very di- diligently at uh, all these bills. That's what I was suspecting, and I just was glad to hear that um, from you being involved in the process. Uh, we know that these t- these things are, are um, you know, slow moving in many cases, and there's lots of things that have to be considered. Can you give us a, a flavor for the type or at least the tone of discussions when you sit there in chambers and they're talking pro and con and they have proponent testimony and opponent testimony, Give us kind of a little flavor for some of the issues and or the climate in chambers when these issues are being discussed. Um, you, you know, it, it's a very uh, emotional issue, and both sides are very emotional about how they feel about it. And um, it, it's uh, um, difficult to, 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 to look at di- different aspects sometimes, but um, – uh, both they're both very passionate, and um, uh, but I but at least in the Senate, I'm sure in the House, everybody's looking at them uh, very deeply um, because they're very important issues to uh, many people in Ohio. Senator Hoffman, I, I was looking through all of these pieces of legislation, and these are the things that I I don't do a whole lot of reading, but I read uh, the things you send me in a lot of detail. And one thing that I found was uh, a couple of the proposals made reference to statistics gathered by Every Town for Gun Safety and uh, Gifford's Law Center, which we both know are um, gun control organizations. We'll, we'll leave it at that. But my point um, for bringing that up is uh, there didn't seem to be any supportive documentation or interviewing of people like myself, and I consider myself to be an authoritative source, people from the Buckeye Firearms Association or other entities who can kind of um, maybe offset some of the data. For example, um, Senators Thomas and Lehner made reference in their bump stock and large uh, large capacity magazine uh, ban proposal. They mentioned that uh, the, the federal prohibition on assault weapons and high-capacity magazines, which was in effect from 1994 to 2004, 
um, resulted in mass shooting fatalities being 70% less likely to occur. Now, I I can just tell you from doing the data, and I've done substantial research comparing data between uh, ages, particularly what happened during the assault weapons ban and what happened after the assault weapons ban. And that statement is, um, it's starkly false, um, but there is, depending on how you look at certain things and how you stack up some of the incidents that have occurred, I can see how they can make the, the, the numbers fit their narrative. But regardless of, we know everybody tries to do things like that. I can assure you when I do statistical analysis, I look at the actual numbers and present the facts and let people draw conclusions rather than making an inference based on uh, speculative data and trying to promote a particular agenda. Um, do you see that going on or do you think there's legitimately an attempt to get at a core foundation or both sides so emotionally involved that they're just kind of throwing stuff out there and hoping it sticks on the wall? Well, I think sometimes they're trying to throw it out there. And so when a, when a senator or a member of the House introduces um, a bill, they ask for um, other people to support it. And you're giving the one side, your side, of why you should pass that bill. And that's why we have hearings and we bring in uh, uh, first, the sponsor of the bill, and you get to ask them questions about, you know, what of these statistics are like. Then you bring in uh, um, proponents, and, and, of course, they kind of have their statistics and plans. And then you put, bring in the opponents, um, and, uh, and they have their statistics and plan. Um, and so the, in the end, there's a fair process. But sure. As it starts out, it, it's, it's kind of one-sided. You're right. Sure. So as of right now, they're kind of all in the formative stages. They've had a couple of hearings. Nothing's going to be done this year. They're going to reconvene the first part of next year. Some of these will probably be combined. A couple elements will probably be thrown out, and eventually we'll see a piece of legislation that's been thought through that um, both sides can kind of deal with before they present it. You think that's how it's going to play out here? or I, I think uh, you know a number of these bills are, are done. They had their uh, – you're required to have one hearing um, – by, by statute, by law, you have to. And so they've had their one hearing, and I think that uh, the chairman of that committee is, uh, most likely will not hear again I see. in those. Uh, I think that probably the only two that will continue to be thought out is uh, Senator Johnson's bill uh, and uh, Senator Dolan's bill on uh, Strong Ohio. Um, relative to that, um, Governor DeWine set out a multi-point plan shortly after the Dayton incident was very comprehensive, included background checks and sentencing enhancements and things of that nature. How does his proposal, um, you know, he came out with that plan, does that just kind of get forward to the legislature as a recommendation and then they dissect it and determine which bills they're going to come up with relative to his points, or is that a separate process? How does that actually work? Similar to that. So, So Governor DeWine cannot introduce a bill. He has partnered with Senator Dolan and uh, in, in basically, um, you know, Strong Ohio, Senate Bill 221, is the proposal that the governor had put out there, and it was done in conjunction uh, into a formal bill um, by uh, Senator Dolan. I see. And that Strong Ohio, that's an acronym for uh, the S for safety protection orders, the T for thorough background checks, the R for rigorous due process, which I think is a a very good point that addresses an issue that people were concerned about with the initial um, frenzy over red flag laws. The O is for ongoing help with those in crisis. The N is for uh, new state background checks. And then G is for greater penalties 
uh, for gun crimes. When people talk about that strong, it's kind of a good acronym. It has a lot of um, a lot of uh, good information embedded in it. Um, just from your personal standpoint, do you think that has the potential to gain some traction and at least in its uh, abbreviated uh, capacity move forward in the next session? I, 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 I believe it does. And it, it, it's a much better than uh, a number of the other bills that, you know, universal background check. Initially, the, the one bill for, from Senator Thomas said, hey, look, we're going to take your guns for 14 days and you don't even have a due process in that 14 days. Right. Um, and, you know, at least, you know, a, a lot of, of this strong Ohio is, is based on what we already have with the pink slips process. Sure. That if you're dangerous and, and professionals feel that you're dangerous, um, to step back and, and, and give the opportunity to get mental health help, get, diffuse the situation, but um, uh, it, it has some uh, type of due process in there. Right. That was what I felt was really interesting and, and, and very uh, um, satisfactory when I read some of the specific language relative to the due process being uh, involved in um, removing the individual from the situation, getting them assessed, and then if an individual makes an assessment, only then can a decision be made uh, by a court that guns could be confiscated after they determine he or she would be a, a risk to himself or others. So, you know, the, we talked about this the last time you were on. It didn't make any sense to take the guns first and leave the person there if they're still a risk because there are plenty of other things they could get access to that they could carry out their, you know, their whatever harmful acts they wanted they wanted to to do so um that helps clarify a lot of things and um um, I hope if you could just stay on the yeah. on the phone with us uh, through at least the the bottom of the next hour. We're going to have to take our first break of the of the hour in just a couple seconds. But uh, I appreciate what you've uh, done this far, and uh, I'm going to encourage our listeners. If you want to get on the show, please call us here at four five seven twelve ninety. And right after the this break, we'll talk more about uh, the current uh, things going on in the legislature. You're listening to Shooting from the Hip on twelve ninety and ninety five point seven WHIO Dayton's News and Talk. It's our Ask the Experts weekend on the Miami Valley Radio Station with breaking news, weather and traffic, 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. It's an Ask the Experts weekend on Dayton and Springfield's 24-hour news, weather and traffic station, 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. Welcome back to the show, and if you want to get in on today's show, please call us here at 457-1290, and if you were listening the first part of the show, we're talking with uh, uh, State Senator Steve Huffman, who has uh, given us an overview of uh, some of the legislation that, that's currently pending in the State House. And um, um, Senator, I would just like you to uh, talk a bit, um, right? Recently, we had a, a tragic incident where a homeowner um, shot uh, I think three juveniles who were trespassing in a uh, detached garage and initial police response resulted in um, uh, the initiation of an investigation that did not immediately lead to the arrest of the suspect because they were concerned about whether or not the um, individual had used deadly force in compliance with the law. Now, the law changed within the last couple of years that required the prosecutor, like in other states, to show beyond a reasonable doubt that an individual's um, uh, use of uh, deadly force was not in self-defense as opposed to how it was prior to the enactment of the new law um, where they had to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that the individual, him or herself, did use deadly force 
um, uh, that, that in fact it was justified. And one of the problems I had, that current case I think is classic in that um, the, the prosecutor waited till the investigation was completed before he issued a decision to go forth with arrest warrants and the individual was arrested and he's being held in custody on a million dollars bond based on the facts. It seems that the shooting wasn't justified. It's just that there were several people, including the mayor of Dayton, some other law enforcement people who made the allegation that the change in the law a year ago made it harder for the police to do their jobs. Do you have any opinion about either that case and or that issue relevant to the change in the law two years ago? Um, you know, I, you know, all we have is what we read in the paper, and uh, the prosecutor has a lot more evidence to, to make those decisions. Um, but, you know, two years ago, um, it was uh, uh, Senator Johnson's bill uh, that, that passed that uh, increased the Castle Doctrine, and, uh, and now it's, uh, Senator Johnson was just appointed to the, to the Senate um, um, from, from Southern Ohio and has introduced the, the, the bill to continue to expand the Castle Doctrine. Um, so it's difficult to, uh, uh, to, to have a, a real good opinion on uh, not knowing all the facts that the prosecutor knows. Sure. But, um, you know, you needed to be able to defend your home um, from what from uh, uh, what's going on and not have to uh, have to retreat. Right. The, the one point I wanted to make was uh, when, when it just gets a little bit, I think, uh, frustrating and it confuses the thing when you have public officials making comments before the facts are known. I think the prosecutor handled it totally appropriately. I just think just like in Baltimore back when they had the Freddie Gray incident, you had the prosecutor there talking about justice will be served. And as it turned out, justice was served and the officers were not um, indicted in a case where it was uh, misinformation initially. It just makes it frustrating. And then when they say that the law that all we did two years ago was bring our standard up to the way it was around the rest of the country, that prosecutors have to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that an individual committed an act as opposed to individuals themselves having to prove there is innocence. And that's where it was just frustrating, at least for me to hear as a, foreign, a former law enforcement officer of 28 years plus, um, you know, being involved in the uh, the training of, of people relative to um, the use of firearms in self-defense, you got people who should be, should know better making decisions about legislation, about laws that were passed that really are for the greater good without knowing all the facts. No, I, no, I agreed with you on that, that, uh, that point. Uh, yes. Um, till we had all the facts, uh, you know, the prosecutor presented this case to the grand jury and they made a decision. And so, uh, um, but you're right. We shouldn't uh, pass judgment before uh, before we have all the facts. Right. And that's one thing we repeatedly say on this show. We get people to call in and we tell people, let's wait until the facts are known till we can get official law enforcement investigative information before we report information uh, relative to those issues. Now, um, when you were talking about Castle Doctrine provisions, one of the current issues, as you mentioned, was Senator Johnson's proposal to do away with the duty to retreat. But I just want to remind our listeners that even though duty to retreat um, may, may or may not pass, but if it does pass, that doesn't relieve the individual of making a decision that they can use deadly force only when they believe personally that their life or someone else's life uh, is in danger. Um, there's a popular misconception, I think, out there that if somebody starts trouble and you decide you don't like the fact that they started trouble, regardless of the dangerousness of it, they're justified in do using deadly f uh, force because the law, quote, says they don't have to retreat, unquote, and that's not the case. Is that how you no, understand? No, and there, there's other good uh, provisions in there where a person is not required to retreat um, before deadly force, but he, um, he cannot be the aggressor. 
That's right. He has the right to be at that location where the force is used, and he is not engaged in unlawful activities. Correct. So it just doesn't give people the, the opportunity. You, you have to be doing the right thing at the right time um, uh, before you can use deadly force, yes. Yeah, and that, that's why it's so important that people understand the essence of the law, and we spend a lot of time in our classes going over that. You know, our class isn't about shooting guns. It's about uh, understanding the serious responsibility of owning, carrying, potentially using a gun, and that's why we try to stay up on um, these sorts of things so we can present accurate information and try to bring it to life through scenarios and things of that nature, and, and uh, I'm just so grateful that you're able to take time out of your busy schedule to come on our show and talk about things, and uh, I promise I won't bother you until probably the end of January unless you drop me a line and uh, tell me something's going on but uh, I certainly thank you for joining us here in the in the studio today and uh, helping um, clarify some of those points because it's only with accurate information that people can make informed decisions and it's uh, through your your willingness to come and help us with that that we're able to distribute that information to people that need to know. No, I greatly appreciate it. I, I am proud of my defense of the Second Amendment. And, uh, you know, if any of these bills are starting to move or, or there, there's other potential things that happen in State House, I'll certainly be in touch with you to get the information out there to, to your listeners. And again, I thank you very much and Merry Christmas uh, to you and your family. And I hope all goes well over the holidays for you. Uh, and the same to you. You take care. Thank you, Senator. Well, there you have it. Uh, we get information right from the source, and we're going to stay on top of things. And, uh, again, if you want to get in on today's show, please call us here at 457-1290. We'd be more than glad to hear what you have to say, talk about any of the issues relevant to what we've discussed up to this point or anything gun-related. You're listening to Shooting from the Hip on 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. The Miami Valley's only radio station for 24-hour breaking news, weather, and traffic. 1290 and 95.7 WHIO. Dayton's News and Talk. Welcome back to the show, and so glad you could join us here today. Again, if you want to get in on uh, today's show, please call us here at 457-1290. We'd be more than glad to talk with you. First part of the show, we were so grateful to have uh, Senator Steve Huffman uh, to talk to us about legislation that is uh, currently pending in the uh, Ohio legislature. And if you miss that part of the show, you can certainly go back and uh, um, listen to it uh, when we post this show uh, next week. Or um, sufficient is to say there's not much movement at all, or it looks like there's not going to be any movement at all in this session, and they're going to reconvene in uh, probably mid-January, and some of these issues will be uh, re- rediscussed and probably jumbled together, and there may be some some movement uh, at that time, and uh, he agreed to uh, keep us advised. And so uh, uh, I know when you read some of the um, text of some of the bills that have been proposed and you hear that they've had a hearing or two and you don't necessarily know uh, where they're at, um, we heard it right today from uh, Senator uh, Huffman that there's really not mo- any movement at all. And the only two that are likely to gain any traction will be um, uh, duty to retreat, uh, which was introduced um, just last week in the legislature by Senator Johnson, or actually a couple weeks ago, and then uh, Senator Dolan's uh, Strong Ohio, which is kind of a a compilation of many of the um, initiatives that were forwarded by uh, the governor and put into legislative uh, 
um, format in in the form of uh, a bill that uh, is being presented. So we'll keep you up to date. I think it was Senate Bill 221, but we'll keep you up to date on those as we hear more. But as of now, going into the holidays, you can rest easy. Um, you still want to be ever vigilant, want to contact your representatives, both at the state and the federal level, let them know how you feel about pending issues, uh, because it's sometimes when we forget about things and we get lackadaisical that things happen. A couple of things that I want to just uh, follow up on. Last week, I reported on a couple shootings around the country. One was at the Pearl Harbor, Pearl Harbor Naval Station, where a, an apparent disgruntled uh, employee came into work. He was actually a guard guarding one of the submarines on the facility. Uh, he drew his weapons from the armory, and then he proceeded to shoot uh, two or three uh, supervisors and then killed himself. Um, that particular incident appears, at least on the preliminary investigative information that's been released to public, to be more to be more work-related rather than terrorist-related. But uh, again, we we don't know necessarily uh, what what went down because we haven't heard a whole lot in the last week about that incident. The one that's received a little bit more incident was the Pensacola, Florida Naval Station shooting, where a um, a student from the Saudi. Um, Air Force, who was over here at that uh, naval station receiving uh, pilot training or learning how to fly a plane, uh, and purchased a weapon, and we'll talk about that in a minute, uh, apparently lawfully purchased a, a weapon and then went on to the, the facility and killed several people. Um, several unnerving factors have come about or come to light relative to the preliminary investigation, one being that uh, during the incident, some of his fellow um, uh, pilots that were over here being trained, Saudi pilots, were actually videotaping the incident as it unfolded uh, with uh, their cell phones. And uh, only logical person or only logical assumption there could be, uh, again, I'm just going to go out on a limb here to say when people don't notify law enforcement that an incident like that is going down and, in fact, they videotape it, um, they've got to be in some way conspirators in the in the incident. Um, they've they've been arrested. I think they're still detained, charged, and being questioned. I don't know how far that's gone. But uh, they also found out through investigations the night before they had, a, believe it or not, a quote dinner party unquote where they watched videos of other mass shootings in the country. So you take all those factors um, individually. Maybe you have to draw some uh, you know uncertain conclusions, but you you take them all collectively and you say, well. There's no doubt there was some sort of conspiracy here, and these people were acting together, and it wasn't only the one shooter um, who, a valiant uh, response by deputies re who responded to the scene, ended up uh, encountering and killing uh, on the scene. Um, so the incident was brought to a successful resolution with um, um, fewer dead than uh, uh, could have happened had the officers not responded, the deputies not responded in, in short order, engaged in gun in an ongoing gun battle that took some time, and I don't know the exact amount of time, but it took some time, and they were able to isolate the individual in a particular area of the facility, and then uh, through the gun battle, I think a couple deputies were also shot and injured, and then they were able to kill the suspect. So that brought that to resolution. One other issue that I mentioned uh, was how this individual purchased a firearm, and it appears that he purchased it legally because there's a provision in law, and if you ever want to if there ever was a case where they could say that there's a glitch in the law, I think this is a case. Federal firearms law allows these individuals who obtain legal status when they come here to this country to do one of a couple of different things. In addition to getting legal status, and I don't know especially what his legal status was, whether he was here on a student visa or whatever the case might be, but as long as they become a resident in the state where they're at, get a driver's license or ID card in that state, and believe it or not, get a hunting license, 
Think about that. And I paused for a minute just so it could soak in. They get a hunting license. They're then eligible to go purchase a firearm. And the law doesn't specify hunting firearm. It just says firearm. I first came across this several uh, couple years ago now when two Chinese national students came into my front uh, front door and they said, we want to buy a gun and uh, we want uh, you to sell it to us. And I said, well, you know, give me the, the circumstance. He goes, well, we, we bought this gun at another gun dealer and we're going to have it transferred here and we want you to sell it. You have to sell it to us. And I said, well, I don't have to do anything and you need to give me more details. And so through the course of questioning, I come to find out these are two students at a local university. They uh, were here on student visas. They had uh, obtained state residency. They got a, um, a driver's license and or an ID. I believe it was a, a driver's license in both cases. And they went and they got their hunting license, and they say, this allows me to buy a firearm. And, of course, I, I'd never heard of that, interestingly enough. That was one of those things that first time it ever came up, we never discussed it. So I told him, I said, look, I'm going to put everything on hold. I'm going to call my agent tomorrow. They questioned me about why I was doing it, made some allegations, and I said, look, as a firearms licensed dealer, I can uh, run my business the way I deem appropriate, and I'll get back with you. I took their information. I called my local ATF agent. He was a little bit stunned, I'm going to say, and, and confused initially. And then we together kind of walked through the the section on the form and the reference to the, 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 the law that is referenced on the form 4473 and both came to the conclusion that, yeah, that's, that is the case. So because of the fact that they were so assertive in the way – that they came about doing this, I was confer- I was concerned. So there was a, a check done of their status, found out they're legally here. I was advised to go ahead and run them through the normal process and have them fill out the 4473 so that a background check could be conducted. And believe it or not, both came back as uh, um, nothing prohibiting the, the sale of the firearm, and they were able to purchase the, the firearms. Um, in this particular case down in Florida, it's, it appears that based on preliminary investigative uh, information that was given to the public during the press conference, that they followed all applicable laws, that the individual who uh, committed the act followed the law and that the person selling the firearm followed the law and the person actually per- fire, uh, purchased the firearm legally that he used in the criminal act. That brings us to the second issue. Um, There's a lot of discussion now, and there has been discussion for several years now, about uh, individuals on military bases, um, uh, people on active duty military status, civilian employees, people other than the guards who or police officers who are on the base being able to have guns. And uh, I think still around the country, it's generally prohibited. I understand that in Texas there was at least one base commander that was uh, at least a year or two ago considering giving authorization for certain individuals that met certain uh, criteria, whether it was concealed carry, um, had gone through training. I'm not sure what the specifics were, but uh, apparently the individual base commanders had the authority to make that decision and give certain people authorization to carry firearms for self-defensive purposes. Um, it's unfortunate that we have government entities making those decisions. Um, we've had now multiple incidents that have occurred on military facilities around the country. And, um, again, they have to rely just like in many cases in the civilian world outside of military bases, they have to rely on law enforcement response before an incident is brought to uh, resolution. Fortunately, in many incidents in the civilian population, um, armed, ready, willing, and capable civilians have raised themselves up to the occasion and they were able to thwart the incident before it, uh, it, it continued or the individual continued on his deadly rampage. But um, it brings up several issues. 
Um, I know that that's probably something that some of you may have a reaction to, and I certainly welcome you to call in here, and uh, we'd like to discuss that. Um, there are people who have uh, opinions pro and con. Uh, there are There's a general consensus among a lot of people, and my experience is most of the people who are anti-gun, don't have guns, don't shoot guns. And when I say anti-gun, they're of the belief that no civilians should have guns for any purpose. And if they have them, they should be for very limited purposes and for the limited purposes that they believe people should have them. Uh, For example, I've heard people say they should have them when they go hunting, and then when they're not hunting, they should be required to lock them up somewhere and um, not have access to them anytime uh, of the year. Recreational shooting, again, certain circumstances, but responsible individuals like many of my listeners, the majority of my listeners, maybe all of my listeners, you own a gun, several guns, and you do responsible things. And one of the other issues I wanted to mention that uh, th- there's been a lot of talk in recent years about the modern sporting rifle, the M4, the AR, the military style rifle that um, so many of us love and have, and um, the fact that they should be outlawed. And what I uh, they, they mentioned that they're increasingly used in crime, and I've presented uh, data from the FBI Uniform Crime Reports that I think are um, pretty uh, uh, contradictory to some, but the fact that they're factual, they're unnerving because people don't like to hear the facts. They just think they can say things like uh, um, uh, the, Gifford, uh, the, the Gifford Research Center and every town... Uh, against gun violence, they cite data that these rifles kill people. Well, I mentioned that uh, I did a study at the tail end of last year, and it's um, um, easy for you to do the same research. You can go look at the FBI Uniform Crime Reporting data relative to homicides in this country, and you can find that during the assault weapons ban from 1994 to 2004, the number of individuals killed in this country um, with rifles, broad category rifles, not only M4 rifles, went from a high of 757 in 1993, the year before the ban went into effect, to at the end of the ban, it went down to 392. So you say, well, wow, it, it did have an effect. So in the, on its face, um, it, there was some, some truth to that. But let me just give you the data that's behind the scenes. During that same 10-year period, less than a million, 879,000 M4 AR rifles were manufactured and distributed in this country or in circulation, less than a million. Since that time, get this, since that time, almost 15 million rifles, modern sporting rifles only, not only rifles in general, have been circulated into the public, and the same numbers of people killed by the uh, rifles in general has gone from a, uh, it ranged from 453 high in 2007, there was uh, to a low of 258 people killed by rifles in 2014 and 2015. Now there was a slight uptick in 2017 to 403, but keep in mind during that same period of time, not only were there 879,000. Uh, well, well, let me just clarify. During the the ban, there were 879,000 M4 rifles in circulation. There's now over 17 million. So the logic would be, if you're saying that doing away with the rifles will solve the problem, is that there should have been a significant uptick in the number of people killed with those rifles during that period of time, and yet there was a relatively notable um, decline in the number of people killed, even though there were 12 to 15 times as many M4 rifles in circulation. Those are the facts. You can look at them yourself. 
um, some source data that you can look at. You can uh, go to the FBI Uniform Crime Reports, the data on uh, um, that, and you can find it out for yourself. But we'll talk more after the break, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about this issue and many others when we come right back. You're listening to Shooting from the Hip on 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. When the Miami Valley gets hit with breaking news, severe weather, or traffic tie-ups, depend on us for up-to-the-minute information. 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. A little time to show you I'm working. Dayton and Springfield Station for 24-hour news, weather, and traffic. And our Ask the Expert weekends. 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. Welcome back to the show. And um, I want to go ahead and remind our listeners, we only have a few minutes left on today's show, that we're running our Christmas raffle down at the range. Um, tickets are $10 a piece, three for $20, and we're giving away your choice in the order that your ticket is is uh, chosen, one of five firearms, um, the five firearms that you can choose from. We're going to give away three of the five, and again, it's in the order the tickets are chosen. You can get a Beretta APX Compact Semi-Automatic Pistol, a Springfield XD Mod 2, an M&P 2.0 full-size semi-automatic pistol, a Glock 19 MOS. That's ready for uh, a red dot for those of you like me that can't see anymore and you want to get something that's a little bit more precise and you can mount a red dot on top of it, or a very deep concealed Glock 43. So um, our raffle will be going on now through uh, uh, Christmas Eve. We will draw the winning tickets on Christmas Eve and notify the individuals who can pick their gun up the um, the week between uh, Christmas and New Year's. You just have to come down to the range if you win and um, fill out the 4473, pass the background check, and we'd be more than glad to... Um, pass on the gun, but you got to buy your tickets first. Again, they're ten dollars a piece or three for twenty. You can buy them at the range. Um, right before the break, this last break, I was talking about uh, some data that had just been released from the National Shooting Sports Foundation and the U.S. Firearms Industry that there are uh, currently um, an estimated uh, seventeen million seven hundred and forty thousand modern sporting AR-style rifle in private ownership today. Now, keep in mind, as I mentioned, that on an average year, the number of people, and I don't mean to minimize this at all, I just want to kind of put it in perspective, the number of people killed by right, by modern sporting rifles, by all rifles uh, in general, because they don't differentiate a separate category, is typically below 400. 400 of the roughly thirteen to 15,000 homicides annually are done by rifle. Double, triple, and many more of that are done by people with bare hands and blunt objects and knives. So um, just to kind of put it in perspective, when you consider that there are 17 million um, owned today by millions of individuals, yet those guns are only used in a limited number of crimes, again, we have to keep mentioning those. It's not the guns that we're addressing. It's got to be the behavior and the individuals that commit the deadly acts, and we have to continue to move away from the emphasis on the object and put it on the person and the person's behavior. So that data is readily available. If you want to read a, a pretty decent report, it's the U.S. Firearms Industry Today 2018 report. The author is Jade Molday, M-O-L-D-A-E. And uh, now that Mark's back uh, full uh, full circle, full circle, and we're going to be back on the air. I'm going to see if I can get him to post some of this up on our website as we go into the to new year to make it a little bit more um, informative for listeners who may not have the opportunity to listen to each individual show, but might want to follow up on particular uh, issues. So 
uh, make sure that you uh, take a look at that. And as we go into the new year, I want to remind you that we have our full listing of uh, courses at Sim Trainer, everything from our first shots to basic handgun to concealed carry, our advanced handgun series. Um, we're uh, going to restart our um, M4 rifle class. I believe that's on the second Monday in, uh, in uh, January. But you can check the calendar at sim-trainer.com and um, see if there's something there for you. And I'm going to kind of get ahead of the, the head of the curve here. And over the next couple weeks, uh, those of you that buy raffle tickets, you get 10% off any purchase, $50 or more. We are liquidating almost our entire uh, inventory of new and used guns. Um, and if you go to our website and look on the store page, you'll see the guns, you'll see the price. You come in, you buy the gun, you're going to get it for the greatly reduced price that's already marked. Plus, you get to use one of your uh, raffle tickets for 10%, an additional 10% off. So if it's $400, you're going to get it for $40 off. You get it for $360 plus tax. Again, that's uh, kind of getting ahead of the curve. I don't even think my social media person has that out in email form yet. But that's the kind of the, the Christmas um, flyer. I'm, I'm getting ahead of the game, but that's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be reducing the, again, it's only in-stock firearms, new and used, and they're listed on our website under the store page. So take a peek at those, see if there's something you want, get down to the range because they're in very limited quantity. We're simply getting rid of the 2018 uh, inventory, getting ready for end-of-the-year inventory, and then uh, looking forward to 2000. And uh, 20. Get rid of 2019. Looking forward to 2020. So that's a great way for you to pick up a new gun for yourself. I want to remind our listeners that we're only a week and a half away from Christmas of 2019 and one year, one week and a half from 2020 Christmas. So whether you're going to be the person looking for a last minute item this year or kind of jumping the the gun and getting literally and figuratively and getting a, a jump on next year, some great deals to be had. So until next week, you're listening to Shooting from the Hip on 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. From our downtown Dayton McAfee Heating and Air Studios, WHIO AM Dayton, WHIO FM Pleasant Hill, a Cox Media Group station.